And we're back for another episode of The Forever Student. This is round two with our good friend, OT. And we're going to continue on his journey. OT, welcome back. Thanks for having me back. Dude, I'm honored. Yo, I th- two I think rounds? It, I think it's part the, two? I think it's the first time. Really? I think it's the first oh. time we're doing two parts. I've had people on twice, but like... But different But like six different months story. apart. Okay. Not like in a row. Wow. I'm so honored. this is exciting. That's a long story. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, yeah, it is. And, and let's dive a little deeper. We finished off pre-second surgery. Correct. Last time. Yeah. You want to just pick up where we left off? Sure. So we were leading up to the second surgery in our last conversation where I was looking at by then this. So the second surgery was in May 4, 2016, which is kind of funny because the first was May 24, 2010. Second one was May 4, 2016. And I was back in town from the US. I had a day job working in the advertising industry as a strategist. And at the same time, by then I've already launched the Khan show. I launched the show in November of 2015 with two of Dubai's like OG hip hop groups, which were Toothless and Gibberish, AKA Diligent Thought. These guys were awesome. They knew sound, they knew audio. Um, obviously I had a background in radio, but I'm not a sound engineer per se. So as I was trying to teach myself how to do that, I'm like, hey guys, you guys want to pick this up? And they kicked it off with me and it was awesome. We started recording in uh, for us Toothless's place in Sharjah because he had everything. I put some cash in to buy some more equipment and I covered all the money for the show. And, you know, the admin stuff, releasing the episode, like I geeked out on everything, but audio production, I'm like, you guys do that. Right. And they got, they had that on lock and I made a deal. I was like, give me three years of your time if you can, and we can turn this into something. Uh, unfortunately, due to life circumstances, um, they couldn't stick around. Gibberish uh, had to, uh, Ershad had to fly back to Sri Lanka take care of his uh, family after his father passed and Faraz moved to Malaysia at the time. So it was unfortunate, but I met Reem in March, 2016. And by May of 2016, I was leading up to my surgery. The only difference between the first surgery that we covered in part one and this now was that I was in a much different place from a mindset perspective. Suddenly I have this purpose. I got this super exciting concept that I'm working on. My uh, employers at the time were supportive and they're like, all right, take the time you need. Like everything was sorted. And interestingly enough, I've never said this publicly. My, the, the strategy director that I reported to at the time, Elia Marcy was like, you know, what could be interesting. What if you record voice memos to yourself leading up to the surgery and after the surgery? I'm like, yeah, cool idea. And I did. And I remember I have distinct memories. I'm like where I'm staying in the parking lot after work before I get into my car and just like recording a 20 minute voice memo. And I would do this practice every day. Talking about what? Was it more like a, was it it like a, like an audio journal? Exactly. Like an audio diary, audio journal where I would just record. He's like, look, you're a podcaster. Clearly you don't want to spend too much time writing. Just record how you feel or what you think. Much easier for someone like yourself. Completely. Yeah. I did that leading up to the surgery and after surgery, I think for another two months post-surgery or maybe that's a bit of a stretch, maybe a month. I haven't listened to it since I've recorded it. I still have all the audio files. But you know what? Okay. One of the reasons <laughs> why that is, I have that yeah. with with the show. And I'm like, I just don't like hearing myself. Yeah. Right. It's one of those things where it's like, do I have to listen to 20 minutes of myself talking? Like it's such a weird. You do. A weird thing right and the funny thing is that when you get in, if, if you've been podcasting long enough especially if you're as like critical of your work as i am and i know you are uh, at the beginning i had no blueprint of best practices in the region the only best practices i've seen were you know your nprs your american life you had um serial with sarah Keenig, but our show did not follow that journalistic documentary style approach to things ours is very informal so with the can show, I was trying to figure out what we're going to do. Uh, so like, how was I going to document this audio piece? And with the podcast, I used to go and listen to every episode 
and I taught myself to get comfortable with my own voice. I'd listen to it in the car. Mm. And I learned this from working with musicians. This is what's awesome about musicians. There's something they call the car test. So whenever they're mixing and mastering music, they will test it on the car speaker system. Because, and this is, and it's amazing that I'm remembering this now because I'm currently listening to Rick Rubin's audiobook, um, which is about like how, about creative process and art. And he talks about, we have the delusion that we think that we listen with our ears because headsets and audio pieces are created for ears. But actually, if it's like this is why a lot of artists choose to listen to the music with bigger sound system because there's a whole physical vibration experience that goes through your body. You actually don't only listen with your ears, you listen with your whole body. And, and I thought that was super cool. So I would listen to the podcast episodes every time I drive so I can pick out the nuances, what's wrong with it, what I don't like, how can we improve on it? And it was just like part of this R&D of the early days, which I love doing. So I got used to that. But I think particularly when it comes to my audios from that experience, I haven't come to terms with going back to listening. Like, it's funny, I would, I could send it to you, no problem. Like we can have, you know, like a private link where it's like, look, check it out. Let me know what you think, because... I don't, I don't want to go back and listen to it and critique myself and maybe paralyze myself from doing something with it. I always had the intent of one day, someday, something, I'll figure out an idea to do with this. I think it's another po- another podcast. You know? Yeah. So I thought maybe that could be something. So anyway, so I did that. Sur- go into the surgery. What, so what, what did you get out of it? Like what? Of recording? Of recording. Like what? I think there was a lot of vulnerabilities and anxieties that I don't know how to voice. Or no, today I do. I can be very, I'm very comfortable in my vulnerability today. At the time, I was not. Like, I would record all these audio pieces in complete solitude and private. As I said, I'm standing in the parking lot outside my car just trying to record this thing before I drove home. Or I'd record it in my room at home. Like, wherever I can get a sense of privacy is when I would record these pieces. Was it emotional for you? I think so. If Looking back, I think it was very emotional for me. But like, did it instill emotion in, like, was it something what where you... What it did was it gave me clarity of thought that I didn't have before. Yeah. So, because, what, which what journaling right? would it, help it, with. It's so, it's so strange. Like, in, in hindsight, I understand it gave me a lot of clarity because leading up to my surgery, here's what I did. Uh, recorded these pieces. At the time, Reem had uh, business partners that she was working with that own sound studios. And I met Reem at the Dubai Links in March 2016. And I negotiated a barter deal, which was to build a strategy for their business if we can come and use their studios after hours. So after 6 p.m., bro, in advertising industry in this town, nobody will just get up and leave at 6. It's one of those toxic spaces. They're like, oh, shooty, have day, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which I could not stand that kind of humor. And I'm like, bro, I came in on time. I finished my work at 6. I'm out. And I would go sit in the studios and Reem's offices and just work on the podcast. If I'm not recording, I'm doing something to can show related. That was, and that's how I split my days. So before work, my lunch breaks and evenings were all dedicated to the podcast. So imagine now you're in this like hyper-focused space of this super exciting thing that you're just pumping through day in, day out, and it gives you a sense of excitement. And weekends, I'll spend them in Sharjah at Farazad's house, like, you know, working with the guys. So the, uh, the deal I negotiated with Reem was that, look, I will build a strategy for you guys. We just need to use the studio because... I needed to bring in more guests. And it was just, imagine I'd come to like any any female, any woman in our in our lives, any of our friends, and go like, hey, you want to come to Farasa's house in Sharjah so we can record this episode? Like, <laughs> awkward request to make, you know? And like, nobody was into podcasting like that. Like, no, people wouldn't want to hear it. But now suddenly you got these like super high-end studios in Media City. So... I'm, and I made the deal with room where it's like, I'll work on it in May. <laughs> so I knew I'm going to be post-surgery, locked up in a hotel room, and I needed activities to get myself busy for two months. So I was like, great. And I started working on the strategy and research and building this whole approach for Reem's business while I was in like post-surgery recovery. So the the funniest thing my cousins um, till today, they always make fun of me about. They're like, when I woke up at, uh, before surgery, which I believe we covered towards the end of part one, where I was saying like, I prepped like SOPs and I created like follow through videos on how to upload episodes. We recorded a bunch of episodes before my surgery because I knew I won't be available. And, <laughs> and my surgery, let's say it was on a Sunday. I was, by the time I woke up, I'm like, where's my laptop? And it was, I was not allowed to have my laptop, obviously in the ICU because they have heart monitors and it messes with the electrical systems. So I couldn't wait. I had to stay in the ICU for two days. And then after that, I got out into a regular ward. I'm like, phone, laptop, 
now. First thing I did, check my phone for the podcast episodes. They're not live. Because <laughs> we our episodes will go live on Tuesdays. By now, it was, I think, Wednesday or Thursday. I'm like, I knew it. They didn't do this. So I logged in. And I so now you can imagine me sitting there with like an IV going through my neck, which is called the mainline IV. I had two IVs on my wrists, um, one through the inside of uh, my right elbow. And I'm in like, you know, the, the hospital gown. So I'm already like half naked at the back. And they had these uh, machines that would sort of massage my legs. So it, so to avoid That's muscle that. atrophy. Yeah. So now, and the, the you know, the, the food table at a hospital bed, I got my laptop and now I'm just like, click, 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 and just uploading episodes. And people would come and like, hey, alhamdulillah, salama, how you feeling? You know, you know, congrats, uh, successful surgery. I'm like, yeah, yeah, cool, 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 bro. And I'm just like, just give me two minutes. <laughs> and I'm just there like working on this thing, right? Which now I'm in a completely different mindset to my first surgery. I'm like, this got to run. There's systems. There's this. There's that. There's that. And I was super excited. Like Also, I guess the nerves of surgery were very different. Because oh, the first time yeah. was like you're brand new going through Terrifying. it. Terrifying. The second time you go through it, you're like, okay, cool. I know the drill. I know what mm-hmm. could potentially happen. I know how I'm going to feel. Yeah, I know that exactly. I'm functional and I want something to do. Yeah. And I learned and taking learnings from it where the first time around, it was like the work done was… The first time around, like the, the bigger lessons were when I was in a hotel room for two months, I had nothing to do. Yeah. Right. That's like being in solitary confinement in prison. And I made those joke and my mom didn't like it because like, <laughs> it's like being in solitary in prison, but it's just like a nice hotel room. Right. Because people would knock on my door. They'd, they'd serve me my food and, and I couldn't leave the space. So this time I had work. I had reading books time. I had a gaming time with my PlayStation. I got I had shows to watch at the time. And I don't know if you remember DJ Mo City and the 264 crew and those guys. They used to do something called the come down mix, which is like your Saturday recovery after a crazy weekend sort of chill music. So now I'm working on a music mix for them. And like, so I just had all this. So I'm like, I remembered like, I was reminiscent about like my old DJ days from when I was in high school. And I started pulling all these tracks and I made this whole mix for them. And I recorded a, a voiceover intro of, hey, what's up, guys? This is OT. You're listening to the Come Down Mix. That I shout out to the 264 crew, something along those lines. And I sound so different. You can tell. If you under, if you understand this medical space, you can tell I sound like somebody out of surgery. Mm. You know? <laughs> I don't sound like I do today. So that was kind of fun. So my mind was busy. I had things to do. And I had walk time where I'd get up and I'll just walk around the room. You know, so I literally just ran it like as methodical as a prison system in some way. Has that has that kind of benefit to you today? Loads, because that showed me that if I have something that I feel excited about or I have some kind of goal that I've set for myself, I bec- I, I, I can't be stopped. Like I will find a way, as my dad would say, by hook or crook, we're going to get there, you know, so. And like schedule wise as well, like you're still very diligent yo, with that. Everything is in my calendar till date. Like, because we ran overtime last time for this session, I made sure from 4 p.m. when we we're supposed to sit to record this up until 9 p.m. I got nothing. So I got everything done in the morning, all my work, everything that I need to get organized, done. I'm going to Abu Dhabi funny enough tomorrow for my hospital checkup. So I need to be in bed early. So I just cleared up my whole evening. All I got to do is go home after this. Mm. So I got time, right? Um, so I became very diligent. My workouts are in my calendar. Um, the times I need to sit and read a book are in my calendar, my chill time, my sleep time, lunch, dinner, everything is in my calendar. Now. What do you use? Uh, Google Calendar. It's it's amazing. It just makes everything easier and I have everything color coded. <laughs> so now I know what are certain things and it might be a bit much for people, but I think it's important to understand the context and the time it took to get me here. Since 2010 till today, we're in 2023, I'm taking medications at least twice a day. No matter how organized of a person you are, you forget. So I have alarms at 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. every day. If anybody has been around me, knows my medication alarm ringtone at this point. If you've ever interacted with me around it, around that time. And as well as a result of that, because that forced this regimen onto me, fitness has a similar approach, right? Where you don't want to like, I'll find time to schedule my workout. No, your workout's got to be like a meeting right? Whenever you choose to train, that is a non-negotiable part of my calendar. Like last week, I had to go sign some papers at the bank. I hate going to the bank because of the traffic and just too many people. I don't like waiting. 
And I called the, the gentleman from the bank, the relationship officer. I was like, what time do you open your doors? 8 a.m. Like, all right, 7.50, I'll be there. I lied. I showed up at 7.51. First person at, <laughs> in the bank to get things done. So to be able to do that, I'm generally in the gym at that time. I usually would go to train at like 7. So now I made it a point to get up at 4.30. So I'm in the gym for 5. So by the time I'm done with my workout and I leave at 7.30 to get to the bank in time. Don't miss the workout. No. Like it's my, like tomorrow, I cannot, I'm not allowed to train in the morning because I have to get my blood test done early at 7 a.m. So I called a friend who is part of like a CrossFit community and stuff in Abu Dhabi and I was asking him where they do train. So I'm going to go get my blood test done, see the doctor. Turns out it's like Rahabi. So it's on the way back to Dubai. I'm going to stop by, get my workout done in the middle of the day and then come up. So I could not, things in my calendar are not rigid, but they're mandatories that are non-negotiable. Getting work done, getting my training done, my reading time done, also my break times. I notoriously burnt out. Um, I, I get myself to burn out frequently or used to um, until in 2020 with everything that's been happening with lockdown and COVID and downsizing and the changes in the company and all these different issues and trying to survive and managing bank accounts and managing finances but also you have people's lives that you're accountable for that you have to think about eventually my body crashed so let's talk about that because that, this is something I'm personally also very curious about yeah. when it comes to managing because it's not even work-life balance right like it's more like how do you manage how do you avoid that burnout? Like, how do you avoid both sides of the candles yeah. being burned? Yeah. And I think what's what's important for you to just to consider is like, how do you slot how do you slot that in from a daily standpoint? Yeah. Maybe from a weekly standpoint, monthly standpoint. Like, how do you go about it? And like, what has that done for your mental health? Okay, so interestingly enough, um, I'm I'm in I'm a work in progress of learning, right? So when I burnt out, I got shingles. What does burnout mean and what does it feel oh, like? Okay, great. Um, burnout, the way I understand it and I could describe it is that I worked no less than 20 hours a day, seven days a week during that period oh of time. Oh my God. Right? Nonstop. Because worried about financing, managing money around. Uh, we were adopting employees from Reams Old Company to help protect these guys. Negotiating with every single staff member a salary reduction. Right. And also as partners, figure out what's our salary reduction. But now you also got to be agile enough where all our services had to translate online. By the end of, no joke, by the end of April 2020, you're talking about the 29th of April or so, I had a document called the Dukan Media Contactless Solution, which was what we were able to carry online from our services. We had to be like being that. So I'm so, I'm trying to think. From a CEO level, how do I can how can I pivot the business? In talks with Reem and Akawi as business partners, of this is the direction, this is what we could do, this is what we could try. Reem was going through a very difficult period of her life at the time and her at her own capacity. So she wasn't always available. Akawi was dealing with his own thing. So that was in and of itself was an issue. And now calling every single employee individually to negotiate a different salary at the time. Um, you know, I had a list, I called it the hit list of every client that owed us money, aggressively chase them on a daily basis, multiple times a day for every coin that I can get out of them, right? Um, people that I owed money to, every every song and dance of negotiation that I could do for a delayed fee. Like, and it, I understand it might sound selfish, but, and it is selfish. One, I'm trying to protect myself and protect my business, but also we had 12 people that we're accountable for. So there's those 12 humans, 12 lives, plus their families and people that depend on them, plus my family that depends on me. So you're trying to navigate a balance between taking care of people and trying to be fair to everybody else between your suppliers and your clients that owe you money. And, you know, constant calls and emails with the bank and like trying to do this whole song and dance with them as well to a point where I was just, I don't sleep enough. So my reaction... <laughs> and I, I double screen. So I have like my big screen. And I have my laptop screen as I work. I sometimes would like pull up like a show or a movie just to kind of disconnect. Then I realized it was too distracting. I would stop it. I listen to music. Nope. Stop the music. Like it was just this constant world. Also, I was at the early stage of like really discovering a new side of fitness for myself that I wanted to truly commit to. So now I'm forcing myself to be up at 6.30, 7 a.m. to train. I built a gym in my backyard at the time. I mean, I found deals on barbells and weight plates. I built a rig. I got a bench and dumbbells, like the whole thing. And I built a whole gym in my backyard just so I, so I don't stop training. So it was a lot. And eventually, 
So burnout to me was that now my mind is cloudy. I'm unclear. I don't know if I'm making the right decisions anymore. A lot of, I mean, uh, what do they call it? Like um, the imposter syndrome is one thing, but now I'm questioning my own decisions. Yeah, if I'm doing the right thing or not. Like, should I eat now or can it wait because I can finish this other thing, right? Like it's just, there's self Decision like, fatigue. Completely. Yeah. Until one morning I woke up and thankfully my brother was in town. I had like this little rash up here in my chest and I noticed that as I was brushing my teeth. So I went up to him. I was like, yo, what is that? And to give it context, my brother is, uh, mashallah, he's, my, he's the third. We're nine years apart. I'm older. And he's, uh, he's currently doing his psychiatry residency at Cornell Hospital in New York. Like brilliant, brilliant kid. Um, so I was like, hey, what is that? And then he starts talking. We asked me a few questions about how it felt, this, that, and the other. And it, it wasn't itchy, but it hurt. It felt like... You know, if, if you eat a, like a fish bone by accident, if you like, it's a little stuck. Yeah. That's that kind of feeling. And he's like, oh, that could be shingles. We got to go to the hospital like, right now. And apparently with shingles, we got like 48 hours to begin treatment. If not, it could get really, really bad. And it did. <laughs> it got horrible. Like shingles, for those that don't know, it's like um, a result. So if you've had chicken pox, shingles can come to you as an adult. And it usually comes in very specific s- circumstance. Like it needs perfect soil to come to life or get triggered. Stress would be one of them. Very high stress levels, reduced immune system, which I did have because of my medication and um, uh, high, um, not enough sleep as well. So like and your, your body fatigue. Levels, yeah. So it was just, I was the perfect storm for it to happen at the time. And it was painful because it's your nerves. It's a nervous system issue, right? So I can't touch it. I can't feel it on the outside, but on the inside, it, it was just a constant state of numb pain at all times. And then eventually it starts to like blister and bubble up. And it went around from the center of my chest, under my left armpit, like around my chest, all the way to the center of my back. Right? So that was quite tense. Big blistery, bubbly thing that went down. So it was, it was rough. Like that took me out of the game for a while. So now I'm in bed supposedly trying to recover, but also kind of with my laptop <laughs> working because I can't let any of those like fall. Like I was juggling too many things. So that was, that was, my, that was the worst burnout I've had. And Reem flagged it. She's like, every time you push yourself to be, to be on a breaking point, you get sick. I can get a flu, I can get a cold, whatever it is. This was the, this was... Everything. This was the one, right? I go with shingles. So I started therapy to try and figure out what it is. I mean, workaholic, I always knew I was a workaholic. That was a given. But I think at that time, I needed a better understanding of it. So I started this online therapy with um, a therapist in the US. So what we started to do at the time, and this is the early, early knowledge of quote unquote work-life balance for me, where we had to set healthy boundaries around my work. So I, I had to cut down my work hours and that was anxiety inducing is an understanding. Like, no, no, what do you mean cut down work hours, sir? I am racing time. And this is the thing I think as a result of the coma and everything we discussed in, in the first part of this episode, that it gave me a new understanding of time. I became hyper aware of my mortality. So when you have this deep sense of I can go at any minute, I became obsessed with like getting as much as I can in the least amount mm. of time possible. Because I'm like, if I die today, I want to make sure I've done enough to say that I left. I've done something with my time here. So I became obsessed with this thing. And that has been my driving factor since, my, since I had that conversation with my professor in university. I've been like nonstop. So... Now this therapist is telling me I got to slow down. <laughs> I was like, bro, you, you could you cuss me out right now. Like, what do you mean slow down? I can't slow down. Are you out of your mind? And it became this huge issue for me. And it took time for me to get to it. I'm like, okay, these are the ways we do it. One of the things that helped was that Reem and I would watch trash TV at night. So if you remember during that time, there were like the Zoom lockdown parties and Akawi would DJ a few. And we did, like, we started doing things that are just not, can feel like work, but not work. Like we did the positive rap battles during Ramadan to help people laugh and feel better. Uh, we started doing, uh, Reem and I would watch Trash TV. We were obsessed with the show 90 Day Fiance. So you're like, okay, work, work time is done. We got to go watch 90 Day Fiance. And I wasn't allowed to like have this the show playing on one side while I'm working. No, I had to stop Full working. Attention. So close my emails, close everything, yeah. right? So 
And it's just, it's just trash TV. So it's fun. So while we watch that, I'd write or like a journal or like I'll sketch something. And I mean, shout out to him. She reminded me how I used to love sketching. I was actually good at it. And we made a deal. She wouldn't let me uh, like, I used to, I got so obsessed with graffiti when I was younger that I wanted to tag my room and she wouldn't let me. But she's like, if you put up papers on the wall, you can tag the papers. And it was just full everywhere. So like, cool. So then we're just watching and like, I'll start drawing, I'll start sketching, or just doodling. Kind of the idea is to just do something that is not work related, that has zero attachments or deadlines or anything to do with it. But still allows you, I think one of the, one of the things that I learned is if you do something that kind of forces you to be fully present on something else, right? Mm-hmm. Which is where sport comes in as well. Like with me, like playing tennis, running, uh, even like deep conversations, yeah. working out, whatever. Like it takes you completely away and forces you to be totally into something else. And I love that. Like yeah. I think that became my new thing. So then my understanding became, okay, I'm going to work from nine to six after six or seven. I don't work after that. And I don't work on weekends. And I started cutting up all these things, which worked well for me in the in, in hindsight. I'm like, it did well. It helped me regulate. I don't get burnt. I have not burnt out in quite a while. That's that and the other. And But now I've been reading a book called um, indistractable by near ER, um, in his ER, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yes, near Eyal, N I R is his first name, near last name is Eyal, E Y A L. And I heard of, I heard the book on an interview with Tim Ferriss, and it kind of spoke to me. Was it with him? It, um, was it with the author? Yes, the interview? so the author was the guest okay. on, the, on the episode, and as you and I were talking about pre- earlier. The CEO of uh, Asana, who is currently on a Newton Ferris episode, touched upon it in a similar way. So in Indistractable, um, I used to think, because I procrastinate, like with all honesty, I procrastinate a lot. And I used to think that's because, oh, I'm overwhelmed. There's too much work. I need a break, right? It went back to this idea of like work-life balance type narrative. And he's like, actually, no, Indistractable, and his, his approach to it is like, distractions are, the way distractions work is that if you have to deal with something that causes any emotional distress, you're going to find the first thing that'll make 100%. you feel comfortable. 100%. Right? That's exactly it. So for example, if my obje- if I chose, you know what? I'm going to sit on Instagram for the next 10 minutes. And that is, my, that is my purpose. And as soon as I do that, I see something that reminds me of an email and I go to choose work over Instagram. Work is the distraction in this narrative. Right? So it's whatever pulls you away from what you intended to do in that moment, right? Or, in, or a specific period of time. So I'm like, oh, this is interesting. So now everything had to be purposeful, right? Which I, and I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm just in chapter eight, but it's awesome. Like I was just reading a chapter on play. And there's this whole other thing on play on why play is not necessarily things that are meant to supposed to be fun. He gave an example of a guy that mows the lawn and he hates mowing his lawn, but now he decided instead of like finding distractions from it, actually to lean in. So paying more attention to how the grass actually looks, how much water goes Use into it. it. Yeah. When you're cutting the grass, you know, what actually is happening, the smell, the experience around you, um, what you see. So like, to become so deeply involved and curious about the process of being, of cutting the lawn, that you start getting more interested in it. That attention is what makes it fun. The curiosity is what makes anything fun. That's our obsession. Like when you, and I saw this with you, for example, with your, uh, with your uncommon 100K ultra marathon journey, you were doing all these micro things every single day to lead you to that thing. So then I'm willing to bet you were researching, you're looking at other trails, you're seeing other runners, you're listening to other people's comments. What are they doing? Looking at experts that have done this before you, right? That's what makes it fun that it becomes obsessive. It doesn't become um, a task that you feel sluggish or like, I don't feel like doing this thing. Actually, even though you did not know whether you're ready for the race or not, in your mind, you feel like you're ready. There's a lot of self-doubt, but you've done the rigorous part that made this journey so much fun. Mm. You look back at that year with fondness, despite all the issues with it, right? So that's the theory. Like that's one of the chapters that I've been, so incredible book. And uh, the CEO of Asana as well in the other in the other episode, what I'm gathering is that work-life balance is not a set period of time. This is when I work. This is when I don't work. But rather allowing for um, grace, looking into an issue or a task or anything like that without, if you're feeling any negative emotions, stop. What is the emotion? Why am I feeling this way? And if 
you know, you want to pick up your phone. He, I forgot what he called it, but there's something about like, I give it a 10 minute delay. So it's like, wait, why am I getting at my phone now? What do I need from it? Um, let's, I'll do it in 10 minutes. So I'll finish the task, then go back to it. By the time that 10 minutes is up, you forgot about it completely. Yeah. So you're delaying these moments, right? Um, so it's just little things like that. So work-life balance ended up for me was, okay, I don't have to commit to certain hours of the day for work per se, as much as it's, how do I feel about getting X, Y, Z done, getting the work done, putting the time into it. And also, I am happy working 12 hours. Like I enjoy working more than the nine to six. Granted, here's what I learned. I will not pick up a client's phone call after 5 p.m. at all. I might stay up till 10, 11 p.m. working on something. But you as a client, I do not have to talk to you. There are work hours. Let's respect it. I limited my meeting hours. I only take meetings between 11 and 4 for the most part. If you don't work in Dukkan, our meetings are between 11 and 4. The morning is dedicated to myself, then my team and the business, and so are my evenings. Evening time, I don't take calls from my staff for the most part, and they know it. Like um, our finance manager uh, called me one time at like after 10. And it was a night and I picked up, which is rare because I'm usually asleep by then. And he had a personal issue that he was dealing with. We spoke about it. We had a back and forth. I did my best to help him. I'm like, okay, are you good? Are you feeling better? I was like, yeah, I got this. Da-da, thank you. You know, it was a beautiful conversation. And then he goes like, oh, by the way, that that payment. I'm like, mm-hmm. uh-uh, uh-uh. listen, I got you. I love you. I, I'm here for you. And this is what I'm going to help you with. Anything that has to do with money, there's not, what am I going to do tonight? Do I need to go to the bank right now? He's like, no. I'm like, oh, there's nothing I could be done between now and 9 a.m. tomorrow. Why are we having this conversation? <laughs> like, I'm not going to talk to you about money. Call me back tomorrow. And now, and that's how I handle these things. So that's where my work-life balance lies now. I can sit till 10 p.m. working. If I have to, I'm happy. Um, I enjoy, like, I'll write a strategy deck or I'll write a research piece. And it's kind of your time. Exactly. Yeah. I'll play my music. I'm you just don't need anyone thing. else for it. None. Yeah. There are times when I have, like, a, like, this past weekend, I was conducting a research for a client in Doha. And it was an online research. I'm doing online interviews with people. I have booked approximately, uh, we've done a total of 11 interviews, let's say six and five over Saturday and Sunday. That's a weekend. I still work, but here's what I did. 40 minute interview, one hour I have doing whatever I feel like doing. And then I kind of just broke them out because if I am sitting with you in a room, I can sit with you for hours. We can have beautiful conversations. Amazing. If I'm doing it online, I learned that the, the Zoom calls, and especially with people who choose not to switch on their cameras. So now I don't, I have, there's a lot that I can't see. Yeah, I can't read no body emotion. language. I can't read facial expressions. A lot is missing for me. So it ends up being like, well, that became draining. So I'm like, all right, cool. That hour and a half doesn't mean I'm going to sit around and do nothing, but I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to finish up some work here. I'm going to call up these guys. Like, I did other things that had not that had nothing to do with this. And the other thing that I didn't think would be would work, but I tested it out. And this is what I like to do now. I R&D things. I have a standing desk at home. Every call, I'll have the call standing up. So I refuse to sit down for the calls, for the, for the interviews. I'll, I'll stand up. It's as though I'm presenting to a room. And I have, um, you know, the little tennis ball. I'm sure you've seen it around with me if, you, <laughs> if you're with me in the gym because I use it like when I'm balancing on the ball and like I, I use it for different um, dexterity movements. Um, and I just have it and I'll just like be playing with it. And I have this interview and we have a chat. And I was like, yo, this is so cool. I find a way to entertain myself, but also make the session not feel fatiguing emotionally mm. for me. I like that. So that's where my work-life balance is. I work all weekend, no problem. I'll put in the work. And I, I say this to everybody. I'm like... There are people who have talent that are skilled. They're just born with God-given talent in certain things. And then there are people like me who will probably outwork you. If I set my mind to it, I will take you to the finish line. I will outwork you. I will outprep. I will outdo you, right? And this has been sort of my thing. Like, I don't know what my, like, God-given talents are like that. I don't think I have like, oh, I'm a great artist or a painter or a musician. But I'll put in the work work. And that's what I do. So I'm comfortable working on weekends. I'm comfortable working beyond the traditional work hours. And I'm happy starting my days earlier. But that is my time. And when you plug in, when you plug in these like chill, when you plug in these chill times or chill hours, like what does that look like? And like what, when are they usually and what do you do? Sure. So the, they're there for, it's a, like, for example, if you look at my calendar today, I am up at, on average, I'm up at 5.30, 6 a.m., seven days a week. I'd wake up and my 
my program is okay, switch off my alarm, run to the bathroom, come out. And this is where the data obsession comes in. And it's just a personal thing. But I think because of the practice of making sure my medication and all these things are right, I created a regimen that works well for me. I have a digital scale that gives me my BMI. So after I'm done with the bathroom, I'll weigh myself naked, just check all my numbers and vitals and how my body's performing. Then I'll pray. And after my prayer, there's a like, um, certain dua or like, um, you know, like smaller prayers that I'll go through my phone. So now as I'm getting ready, part of my routine is to recite these prayers to myself in the morning, right? So I'll be going through the prayers and, and I, I don't have them all memorized. So like I'll have my phone next to me, I'll like sneak a peek and then I'm like, okay, fine, I'll go back and like keep reciting as I'm getting dressed. And and then I go downstairs and same thing, as I'm getting my protein shake ready, as I'm getting like my coffee ready, I'm still, re you. and it's so interesting because now it's so perfectly well-oiled machine that the prayers end by the time I'm in my car, right? <laughs> so just everything like perfectly timed, drive to the, drive down to the gym. And I've learned over time that if I don't get my workout in first thing in the morning, it's not happening uh, for the most part. And it worked for me. It's the easiest way for me to commit to my training. And the model that I've developed that doesn't let me get bored and shout out to Coach Ola for helping and understanding it. I was like, I'm on a journey to bulletproof my body. Because of the medications I'm on, it re it causes um, muscle atrophy and bone density reduction over time, which are issues that only happen with old age. But unfortunately, due to the medication, I had to figure out ways around it. So this idea, I became, I started to get obsessed with this idea of if that's the case, by the time I'm 80, what is it that I can make my body do at that age if I if I don't stop today? So I follow a bunch of old people on social media that are incredibly fit, people in their 50s and 60s. I'm like that. I'm going to follow. These are the people I look up to today. Mm. And like, so what does that look like? There's strength training for me. There is mobility and stretches are critical. Um, also plyometrics because I just, in my humble opinion, I felt like the kind of drill and training pro athletes do, regardless of the sport, I think that is just so much fun, but also it strengthens your joints and there's a lot to it. So I was like, if I mix strength with mobility, a lot of plyometric work and sauna, and sometimes ice baths, I feel like I got the trifecta. Like, I feel like I figured it out for myself. Yeah. And that has been awesome. I have not been bored with my workouts, which I notoriously used to. I'll train for two, three months and then I'll stop. So far, I've been, I've not stopped for about two years, which is probably the longest in my life that I've committed to constant training. It got to a point now when whenever I'm traveling on vacation, I would choose hotels based on the gym. <laughs> like I would actually try to find a gym that is exactly that has what I need. Kind of like the 25 hours. Like what I love about this hotel is the gym here has everything that I need, but also they got clean showers, which is for me. <laughs> and they got the sauna. Yo, like I keep telling people, I'm like, I'm down for a dirty gym. Give me a dirty gym with rusted metal, no problem. 25's got some nice stuff. They're not they're brand new pieces, but I wouldn't mind it. But the showers just got to be clean, bro. <laughs> so the showers are great. And as you said, we got the sauna and sometimes they do ice bath days at, at the hotel. So I love it. So, you know, that model that I've kind of carved is, is awesome. And then Sundays are boxing. Our boxing days with Jalal. Saturdays are cardio or what I would call play days. I'm currently trying to learn a muscle up. So I dedicate my Saturdays to kind of doing this practice and learning, going through the drills of muscle ups. Uh, three days a week, which are Monday, Tuesday, and Friday are weight training. And twice a week, which are Thursday, um, sorry, Tuesday and Thursday are plyometrics. And it ends with an intense cardio, like an EMOM session where you try to do as much of, as you can within a certain amount of time. I have had no chance to be bored. I'm always having fun with it. Ball balances, like these things became such meditative practices. But also one of the biggest highlights was that when you guys are there, like when you're there and Esma and Jade and Emil and Reem and everybody's in the gym. The energy's different. Yo, yeah. that makes us so much fun. And I used to be incredibly insecure about the way I looked because I went from being a jock to like this post-transplant, overweight, unhappy. Like it's just everything was not working out for me to where now I don't care about how I look as much as what I can get my body to do mm. from a performance standpoint. I'm like, how high can I jump? How heavy could I deadlift or squat? Like my, my ego boost that happened in the gym is when these huge big dudes that look like upside down croissants from all this, <laughs> from all the juice and that they're putting their body through would look at me in surprise that they didn't think my body could do that. Cause I cannot take any supplements the way they do, which not that I want to, but so I'm, I'm, I'm slim, but also with the medication and everything I'm on, 
you wouldn't think my body could do what it does. Yeah. You know? That is such a nice… Like that is my biggest ego boost. I'm like, yeah. That's my flex. And you're going to see progress, right? Like that's the best thing about it. Like there's constant progress. It's gamified. Progress. Yeah, it's yeah. so gamified. We're like, okay, how can I balance better on my… Like because I'm left-handed. And I, when I play, I used to play football when I was younger. I kicked the ball with my left. So I spent more time growing up balancing on my right foot as I kick. So now I, re- I learned that, okay, my left foot… My balance on one foot is not as good as my right. So now I'm doing these new trainings to improve my balance on this one. So like, like it's levels to it. You you unlock one thing and you're like, right, what's next? It's like playing Mario. Like you're just always trying to get to the next thing. And it became an obsession in that aspect. So that made things a lot of fun for me. And what do you what do you think in terms of like, if, if someone's listening to this and is like, okay, that's all great that you're working out that often and you're waking up at 5.30. But like, how do you, how have you kind of gone about not necessarily you. How would you advise someone going about like the habit building part? Okay. So um, I used to be a night out. Like I worked nightclubs. I am seed nightclubs. Like, and I partied. Uh, for somebody that's post-transplant, I did a lot of things. I'm not, <laughs> if my doctor hears this, he would not be happy with me. So I'm not like, I'm not Mr. I'm not the person to, for people to follow for advice in these kind of things, but I could talk about my experience and I hope it helps. Um, I you, I was very hard on myself for for every time I fall off the fitness wagon, and it happened way too much. I am probably the worst person to commit to fitness. I mean, I was not anymore. I was I was terrible. At Why? It. Um, I fall in and out of love with it. I'd get bored and like uh, you'd wake up one day feeling sorry. You're like, Ugh, whatever, man. I don't feel like training today. Mm. Like I'd fall in and out of it very easily. And but also. <laughs> I learned that like traditional bodybuilding is not for me. I can't stand it. It's not fun. Boring. Very boring and very slow. And I didn't understand where my goals are, where my progression is. And like, how do I, or when do I increase weight? Like, how do I know I'm doing well? Like, it's just, I didn't have a goal. Everything's confusing. So it was just, I'd get bored. And I'd fall off the wagon very too often. Um, And I was venting to him about it. And she's like, look, it's just 1% better every day. Right. Just if, and here's how she said it. She's like, why do you want to train for an hour? Because that's how people train. She's like, no, no, no. 10 minutes. Tomorrow, just do 10 minutes of anything. You want to do air squats. You want to go for a walk, just 10 minute workout and set a timer for 10 minutes. Do not exceed 10 minutes. I'm like, but why? I could, she's like, just don't exceed 10 minutes. (laughs) Like everyone's getting frustrated with my questioning. And I was like, all right, cool. I did that. And then afterwards we spoke. She's like, how you feel? I'm like, all right, that's good. I feel good. She's like, all right, cool. Do you want to train tomorrow? I'm like, yeah, I'm so down. She's like, all right, 10 minutes. So for the first month, she, we would, I trained maybe three days a week only for 10 minutes. Like yeah. in the world of fitness, it might feel insignificant, but You're building the dopamine, the, yeah. the dopamine, the positive energy that came from it, the, as you said, building, like the idea of building the habit, it's the result post that as soon as you feel excited to go beyond 10 minutes and also forcing yourself, no, 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 you cannot do more than 10, just that. You're not allowed to do more than this. And you're not allowed to do more days of the week. It's only three days. And a week. you don't feel sore the next day, right? Exactly. Cause all like, bro, we just did, t- we'll do five t- 20, 50 air squats right yeah. now and you'll be fine. Like, yeah. you know, so that's, that's what it became. I'm like, all right, cool. Then that's what we'll do. And little by little, I started increasing here and there. And this, and then she eventually explained, she's like, it's just this theory or idea of 1% better every day. And she, the fact that you trained today and you didn't train yesterday, you've already done 1% better. Like you've already accomplished that goal. So the idea is to make the goal so easy to accomplish that it feels like a nothing burger. As I would say. It just feels so comfortable like it feels like you're not putting any effort into it right then the excitement kicks in of okay i feel like i could do more no i want to do more and you try to want to push yourself constantly and eventually it'll come this is one huge advantage this is what helped me actually commit to my mornings the other thing is that i always i always wanted to wake up early so i feel like i can do more with my day but i never used to wake up early i was horrible even i used to miss morning classes in university there are days where i'd miss the school bus so i gotta take a cab to school like i was horrible but what actually got me to wake up was that I learned, okay, because I drink so much water, especially post-surgery, I wake up a lot to use the bathroom at night. I'm not sleeping enough. And this is where my data obsession, as I said, just like the scale, I use the Sleep Cycle app. So it measures my hours of sleep every night. And I actually review that on a weekly and a monthly basis, the same way I review the changes in my body weight 
every week and every month. And this is not for everyone. Like Reem tried that. It is not Reem. She's like the scale gives her anxiety. She doesn't touch it. I do that. That's a me thing. And this is not for everybody. But I became so really obsessed with the data in that sense. So I I learned that okay, on average, there's if I'm in bed for eight hours, I'm actually asleep for seven. There's always an average of an hour that I'm awake at various times because of my bathroom breaks. I'm like, okay, great. So I need to start sleeping early. Like there's no other way. And the biggest obstacle for me was the sense of FOMO more than anything else. Like, oh, but then I'm going to miss out on that dinner. I'm going to miss out on this party. I'm going to miss out on that hangout. So like, and everything used to happen in the evening. But the, when I started seeing physical results and feeling physical results, and now suddenly I'm carrying weights I never imagined I can carry. And you just feel better, right? Yo, hands down. Like, now I became like, oh, this is cool. So <laughs> like the other day, you know, my finance manager struggles with me a lot. Like he's like, he's been wanting to sit with me for a while in person. I'm like, and it's just unfortunate. I had a very messy two weeks that has been hard to actually sit. I was like, let's Zoom. And he put so much weight on the conversation. He's like, no, this has to happen in person. I was like, all right, bro, I'm in the gym every day, same location, seven days a week from 7 a.m. to 9 on average. Not that I'm training like aggressively for two hours. I enjoy my breaks. I'm checking out videos on YouTube. I'll remember something. I'll send a message. So like, I think I texted you this morning. Like, hey, that yeah. project, let's sit on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, I'll remember random things mid-workout. So I take a lot of breaks, but I make sure I'm getting my work done. But also, again, obsession with numbers and statistics. I time my breaks. I know it's 90 seconds. I'm not exceeding it. So it is 90 seconds on my Apple Watch until it goes off. Right? So in those 90 seconds, I get things done <laughs> as well. So I was like, come to the gym. You don't have to train if you don't want to. While I'm training, I, we can talk. Like I can do, I can help you with whatever you need. Bring your laptop, bring whatever you need, you want to do. And, and like there's sofas up in the gym, you can chill. And like in those 90 second breaks, you got a minute and a half across a two hour window. And then once I'm done, we I can go to the sauna. You, we could just leave the door open and we could talk. <laughs> like I gave him a plan. Like this is what my morning looks like. You can comfortably slide yourself in here. But as soon as I'm done and out the shower, I need to get my protein shake done. I need to go to this meeting. I got to go to the bank. I got the X, Y, Z. I got all these tasks that need to get done before one. And usually, so that was one thing. But the other part of my morning that I've learned after a while, and actually this is credit to you, by the way, and I've learned that from you and your show was that I just get like the things I've been avoiding from the day before done that morning. So between my workout and 1 p.m., I would have sent the annoying emails that I didn't Mm. want to send. I would have sent the payment. (laughs) Hey, you guys owe me money. Pay it up, right? I would have have had all the difficult conversations I need to have. And then there are certain presentations I'm writing where I feel like I'm stuck. I'll take, I'll give it another step at that time. Anything that happens after one is just general admin, catch up with the team. The easier things. The easier things. And that eases my entire evening to a point where by 8, by 9, 9.30, I'm ready for bed. And you know what? Like worst case scenario... If you finish all of that by one and you do nothing else after one, it's been a super big day for you. Yo, I got the hardest stuff done. Yeah. So organizing my life in that way worked really well for me. So, and I measure everything because, and here's the, 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 which has been a difficult thing, right? Is that when you have a chronic illness, insurance treats you differently. It doesn't matter how old you are, how healthy you are. I knew and, this was coming. Oh, yo. I was like, I think because I've been wanting to talk about this like for a while. I've been announcing a lot of new stuff or like exclusive stuff on this episode, on this show, because I felt like it's just the right platform and yeah. your listeners will get it. Um, I went from like on average, what do we spend on health insurance? Three to 5,000 a year, somewhere there. Some people pay more. I went from spending every, every year or every two years, and this is why. I'll get my health insurance. You got you got to disclaim if you have anything, and I don't. Feeling like if I do, you're not going to give me the good price point, the good premium price point. So I'll get my health insurance. By the time we go through a year and come back, you know, to the same point of same day of the month, they realize I'm post transplant. My premiums go from three to five thousand dirhams up to, and no joke, and this is over the past few years. I've had ninety five thousand dirhams per annum. I've had 135 dirhams, 135,000 dirhams per annum. I had 175,000 per annum. I had 190,000 per annum from just because I'm post-transplant. Doesn't matter. None of my other stats matter. It's just that I'm post-transplant. So now I became obsessed. I'm I'm actually in this new space of my life where I'm, and this actually started um, 
uh, as a result of the COVID lockdown research that I, I did. And I'm like, I want to talk to every post-transplant person I can get my hands on around the world. I'm like, I interview people, part of what I do for a living. So I dug out people in the US, in Japan, in Europe, in other parts of Asia that are post-transplant. And I went on the subreddit communities and I found people and tarara, and I started talking to people and interviewing them. And I found incredible people like this guy, Robert Neighbors, who's a barber, 52. Dude is built like a gorilla. He's like a tank. Like this guy's just bone and muscle, <laughs> you know? Like he's just one of those big guys. Turns out he's had two transplants the same way I did. And, you know, my first one was my dad. Second one was my brother's. His first one was his brother's. Second one was his dad's. I met this girl, Megan, who's 26 in this like countryside part of the UK. She's a power lifter. Right. And she's like, she's like 4'11", like green, this little girl. I spoke to this like dude in India who does, he, uh, what's it called? He does like uh, different forms of like wrestling, which I didn't understand, but like we walked toward. And I wanted to understand how are you guys doing this? Like, why are you guys training and that? And this kind of became this inquisitive, inquisitive journey. And because I'm already collecting all my own bio data, if you will, which by the way, to Raj Kateja's credit, there was an episode of the Can show that Jib and Tuflis did that I was not in because I was in the hotel room post-surgery. So I couldn't be in the studio to be part of the episode. This was before we could do online episodes, right? This was 2016. And Raj was talking about, we're going to become obsessed with our bio data very soon. It's going to be a huge part of tech. Now look at Whoop and Apple. And mm. I mean, yo, to his credit, this was 2016 when he said it. And it stuck with me. And... This is why I will always credit him for it because I keep remembering that that episode when I heard it. And I was like, all right, great. I'm collecting all this data. So now, and I have data from my research of talking to these people. I'm looking to develop a tech company specifically for people with chronic illnesses. And eventually, I want to develop a data concept behind it. So like, there's a whole thing that we're, I'm working with Reem on it. It's been three years and I'm still working on it. I don't even have a pilot product yet, but it's one of those big, pieces that is very scary for me as well. It's scaring me to do, but I know it's because I think it's turning to be bigger than I thought it was going to be. And I kind of like that. So it's like this whole new challenge that I'm excited for. So. And what's the um, idea behind it is that yeah. <laughs> I want to be able to go to an insurance because here's, I, and this is an email I sent a few days ago to the insurance company because they just got back to me. They're like, oh, 95,000. That was like a week ago. <laughs> for the new, I'm like, I'm willing to bet that I'm probably healthier than most of the people you have mm -hmm. at my age that are normal with zero chronic illnesses. And I was like, he, I was like, I was at some point I was a Nike sponsored athlete. I'm like, this is what I do. Here's my Instagram. These are my workouts. This is my trainer's contacts. Here's my blood tests from the last time I've been to the hospital. And if you want, if you want specific results, tell me what tests you want me to do. I am willing to bet my body is a well old machine. Other than the fact that I have renal failure and I am a post kidney transplant patient. I am willing to bet there's nothing functionally wrong with my body other than that. I'm like, I'm on a journey bulletproofing my body. I'm willing to bet nobody in your office can compete with what I'm doing today mm. to my body, hands down. And the reason why I can say that so confidently because I'm like, yo, the best athletes are my friends. Like you and people like Emil and Jade and the triple seven guys. Like I'm like, the best athletes I know out there are some of my friends that I see every day putting in work, right? So I was like, if that is my environment and those are the people I surround myself with and I have about three years worth of data from my scale, my sleep cycle app, I weigh my food, so I, uh, my fitness power app. Like, I have in intake, body weight changes, BMI changes, but also fitness performance data plan, right? I have all these data points. I'm like, I'm more than happy to come and print it all out. We can okay. sit and go through the sheet, Excel sheets together and I can show you how my body's been doing. Like, and I get tested regularly every two to three months. And so this, this is kind of what you want to address. Yes. The insurance piece. So the insurance space, because I think there is one, I found out this, uh, part, some things through Reem, like from a very early point, Reem's insurance started spiking up her, uh, her insurance premiums because she's a woman. Strictly. I heard this too. Within a specific age. Today, Reem is 40 and probably one of the most powerful 40 year old women I've ever seen. Right. Um, guaranteed her insurance is higher than a 40-year-old man any day of the week, right? The other thing is that uh, because anybody who's with any chronic illness, chances are you're struggling with insurance because now there's going to be a point where I'm going to run out of insurance companies in this country. Because you're just switching between all I of keep them switching. To get the best price. <laughs> Once I get a, a terrible premium, I'll switch to the next one. This year, I put my foot down. I decided to fight it. I'm like, no, tell me what you want. 
and we'll figure out how to sort this premium out. Because I'm like, there's no way I'm paying this money. And I'm tired of jumping and switching insurance companies. If I find an insurance company that's willing to commit to me, I am a loyalist. I will commit to you, right? But give me a chance to prove myself. Not because you're looking at a piece of paper that says post-transplant, that now you kind of br- you kind of have this one giant brush that you kind of paint me with and assume that okay I can't perform, and I, and I said this to Reem and I'm gonna and this is what I'm gonna do. Once this company's up and running, I decided I'm gonna print and frame every single quotation I got from an insurance company with an unrealistic price tag on it. Like that's what I'm gonna do, and I'm just gonna have them hanging in my office. Like these are all, it's like, like, hang, like diplomas. Hands down. You know how like doctors have diplomas? Yeah, yeah. Like, these are the insurance company prices that they gave me because I'm post-transplant. No other reason. And the goal is to kind of look at how you decrease that. That's the idea. Across what? Like the world, the UAE. So my argument is if I can change that for myself, I can change it for anybody with a chronic illness. Right. That's that's my theory, right? In practice. Because and the reason why I say that so confidently is because as I said, I made the worst patient. Hands down, I knew I had something wrong with my kidneys since I was two. Bro, I started smoking when I was 14, mm. right? Coming back from that in one, is one thing. And like all of it, cigarettes, whatever you want to, you can imagine. Um, stayed up late, partied a lot, consumed things that I should not be consuming even after my first transplant. Like I put my body through the ringer in terms of abuse that was not good for me and is not healthy, including my mental and emotional health as well. So like if I can come back from that and seeing where my my where I am today in my life. I'm like, yo, if I can do that, anybody else can do it. Because I am the worst patient. <laughs> I am the worst athlete that there was. Like in all the categories where people think they're not doing well, I'm willing to bet that I was doing worse than yeah. you were at these points. Underdog story to an extent. You know, so I'm like, if I manage to pull that off, then I'm willing to bet that I can help people figure that out. How I'm doing that, that's what the mechanics of this thing that I'm still figuring out. But I am the R&D. Right, I'm like the test pilot of this thing, um, and Rima's working on her longevity stuff, so it fit perfectly with that. So we have long conversations about these things. Of okay, it's not about living to 80, but if I am, if I so happen to live to 80, how can I have my body at beyond optimal performance yeah. at 80? And that's my new obsession at the moment, and that's what I want to build. So I'm like, if I can figure out something that I can turn into a mass product. It begins with people with chronic illnesses, but it doesn't have to. Because then, you know, we can argue the age of retirement. There's already one one too many studies about, actually, age of retirement is not a thing. It's a capitalistic mindset that and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure you're aware of it. But like, basically, it's, it's the theory is broken, right? And if you force somebody to retire, that's actually their death sentence beginning. The death clock begins then because they have nothing to do. And Ikigai and all these other... Uh, books that we've been reading on this topic. So we're looking at blue zones and people who are living for longer. What are they doing? It's the communities. It's the social circles. It's the activities that keep them busy. This idea of like, for some of them, it's just like opening a little shop and just doing this little thing to just have something to do, give yourself a life of purpose. So like, all right, if that's the case, then we're going to build to this thing physically, mentally, emotionally. That's where we want to, I want to head to. So some point I'm going to figure this out. I don't know what, as I said, the mechanics I'm not completely clear on, but I want to be able to build something that people can sort of go to for not only as a reference point, but also a methodology that can be followed. So that's kind of where what I'm playing with right now. That's exciting. Very. That's very exciting. Super exciting. And I mean, it's just obscene that you're paying. Yeah, insanity. I have never heard of anything like it. Yeah. Is and, that is that an issue across the world so that it, you're aware so of? Like when is. you spoke to all these people? Yeah. yeah. So in, in other parts of the world, it is an issue, but there are certain government entities that support. Yeah. Um, better than other parts of the world. So for example, in the U.S., obviously they have they have support for transplant, uh, post-transplant people. But unfortunately, there's a lot of issues in the U.S. U.S. healthcare system. Whereas you find out places like that are have the NHS, like the U.K. or Canada, yeah. they have granted you know, they all have their pros and cons. I'm not saying they're the best out there, but, you know, you, I don't, for they have transplant centers, right? So instead of having to go and line up at the hospitals with all the issues, the transplant centers is where the dialysis happens. It's where you see what they call the transplant coordinators. So you don't always have to see a doctor and where you collect your medication refills as well. And it's free, right? Once you're part of the program. So now I'm like, okay, 
why is that working? How is it working? That era? So if you remember in the previous episode, we, talk, we spoke about like Roberta, the, the coordinator that scared people. Her and I became really good friends. Um, she was actually one of the amazing people that helped develop Canada's system oh, no way. for post-transplant and like the SOPs on the operational side on how they should run. And when she went back to Canada, now she's working on like new improvements for the systems. So I speak to her frequently and like, I'm starting to understand how it works there, you know, and I have a better understanding of how it works in the UK. So I'm looking at it in terms of different countries. But also this is an interesting thing about big pharma, like the medications are incredibly expensive here, like prohibitively expensive. But in Sudan, I can get them for free mm. before the issues that were happening in Sudan. Like, you're talking, you know, like this is a very developed country compared to Sudan, yet I can get it for free from there. In India, three months worth of medication cost me about 100 dirhams, whereas here one month could cost me over north of 3,000 dirhams. Wow. So that, so this is the thing, like, and then turns out it's not, the price is not, it's not a set standardized price. It's, there's um formulas that done on a national level against the national GDP and GDP per capita and cost of medications that create a new set standard price point for medications. Um, and that was a whole other research that I kind of fell into that I started to understand. Hence why the same medication in different countries could be cheaper than others. So there's a whole other piece of the puzzle there that I'm also learning. So yeah, it's, it's a long journey and it's a slow one. That's why today based on my workload, I have two hours dedicated to this every day. Where I, and those two hours do not have to be sitting down writing something. I might watch a YouTube video that's mm. talking about Maybe it. Maybe a conversation with someone. Exactly. As long as like, it's just something that I'm constantly thinking about because it's kind of one of those things where, you know, when you feel stuck at, some, at a, a problem, walk away from it, come back to it with fresh eyes. So this is a daily practice of constantly refreshing fresh eyes. And I'm, I look at the issue all over again until I'm waiting for this like moment you know and it's very like Einsteinian and of like you know think of a problem for so long for as long as you can until you know a solution unlocks so I don't know when or where I'll have a solution but I could be sitting on the toilet and it'll like come up you know <laughs> it's probably where it's gonna happen you know yeah it could be one of those things or like I could be at a beach somewhere I don't know or like sometimes it's funny I'll be in a room presenting to clients and like this huge presentation and I'll think of something <laughs> you know I'll be right back I'm like Oh, um, just a second, guys. And I like, I write something real quick. I'm like, all right, come back to this later. So it's one of those things. Like, I'm in that journey right now. It'll happen very soon. Yeah, it's been three years. It's a, it's fun, though. Yeah. Like, it's giving me something to It's not going to gonna feel for. like work, right? Like, it's going to feel like, because it's something that's so impactful. Yeah. So, like, I think also it kind of goes to your question. Like, well, what is it they tell people to help start, you know, figuring out new better habits? It's finding something that you could obsess about. Like, truly obsess about in that sense where... And I don't mean like putting 20 hours a day into it. Like that's unrealistic. But like something that's just constantly playing in the back of your head once or twice a week uh, or maybe 10 minutes a day. Um, every now and then I'll check out the subreddits again and see what are people talking about now and yeah. what is happening. Yeah. You know, and There's like, no excuse, right? No. Really none. No like I think time is something, is a pressure we put on ourselves and especially the industries we're in. So I get it. Like and I'm, I'm somebody obsessed with deadlines and times, yeah. right? But... I think this is one of those projects where I've accepted that it might not have to be the it might not be the perfect project product in my lifetime. And that's okay. It just means that I kind of kick the snowball and eventually somebody else can pick it up. Uh, and I've come to very happy terms with that. So yeah, that's a big part of it too. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And I think some real like some really key learnings <clears throat> from you today. Specifically, the last 20 minutes is like, do what you enjoy doing, do what you love doing and find time for it. Like, I think like really yeah. organizing your day in a way where there's no, oh no, I ran out of time today. I don't have time no, for no, this it's, anymore. It's making time. Like it's making time. Booking. Five till 7 p.m. Like you work on this. Yo, Four till five. Exactly. You do this. Like book the time <clears> out, you know? like And however that works for you, right? Like you yeah, can do it, you yeah. can do pen and paper, you can do it on your Google Drive, yeah, you can do it however you want. Whatever works. I don't think there's a set rule for everybody. It is very, very subjective. For example, for people like my brother, He's going to get up in the middle of it. He'll get up and walk out for 15 minutes and come back. And then he's, he's, he's cool. He, that's him working through something in his head. Like whatever it is that is your thing, 
do that. Right? That's such a genius. Like I feel like that's associated with like geniuses. Just walking out the room yeah, yeah. and like he, solving an issue he's in your just head one and of coming the, back. Like, dude's a doctor, man. Like yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He's, he's on a different level. Yeah. But like, and I always joke about it. Like I say, he's 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 mom's favorite. No questions out. Like mom's a pharmacist, retired, but like you know she's from med school background, yeah. and this guy. From round one at the age of six goes like, I'm going to be a doctor and just like laser visioned his way to medicine. Nobody forced him to do it. Whereas I had no idea what I was doing up until I started the can and mm. quit like up until then. Like, I don't know what I knew, but this guy know, always knew what he was doing, you know, so he's on a different level of genius. Any uh, closing remarks for our listeners? Anything you want to leave them with to think about? Yeah, I think... Um, Three statements that became, and I've, and they're not mine. I've heard them from people, but they were statements that whenever I've heard them at different points in my life, I'm like this, right? Um, the first one, because I remember this was from university and I heard it when I really needed it, which was after my first surgery, which was that leave people better than you found them. And sort of adopting that practice and just everyday habits that I do became such a big piece of my identity. And I kind of always reflect back on that. The other thing is the one, just 1% better every day and your relationships with your loved ones, with family or with work, whatever it is that you're doing is just 1% better. And if that 1% means doing five minutes extra or you haven't called your mom in over a week and you pick up the phone and call your mom for two minutes, you know, just do that, right? Um, that's the 1%. And the third thing, which I've, Coach Ola says, but also Arnold said it in his Netflix documentary, this idea of like, how could I be useful today? Mm. And that was awesome. Like now everything's like, well, how can I be useful with to, how can I be useful to myself? How can I be useful to my heart? How can I be useful to my parents, my love? Like this idea, like every interaction is how can I be useful in this interaction today? And so I think if you add those three as a mathematical equation, the output is just amazing. Um, so that's always going to be my closing remark. OT, thanks for being here, man. <laughs> thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed your I time. I loved it. Um, thanks for having the platform and, you know, letting me talk about this. And, yo, thanks for being the first uh, part two. <laughs> thanks for sharing your story. It was my inspiring. And, and I think everyone can take a lot away from this. Thanks. Um, Appreciate that. If you guys have any questions, let me look into the camera real quick. If you guys have any questions, um, feel free to DM us, email us, whatever you want. OT, I'm sure, is happy to answer anything Always. after this episode. I, 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 I say this to anybody that reaches out with any question, and I've said it to the transplant coordinators at the hospital that at uh, Sheikh Khalifa Medical City in Abu Dhabi. Um, if anybody's in this space dealing with a chronic illness or particularly with transplant, because at least that's what I understand, um, reach out. Honestly, I'll make it a point to talk to you. I made it a point to talk to donors and patients alike and help them with the process. They always have a lot of questions. So I make it a point to be as useful as possible and be able to provide as much information as possible. And it is very scary, but something to keep in mind, my dad who donated and my brother, they're both healthier than before the Where surgery. can people reach out um, to you? I am across social media at OT Official. Very easy. All one word. Instagram is where I spend most of the time in terms of social media access or drop an email ot at thecanmedia.com and I'll make it a point to respond and we can grab coffee and talk about, you know, if you're in the space and you need help with it, let me know. I'm always down. We appreciate you, man. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks for having me, my guy. 